And we are back with tonight movie. I am Sarah, as always, joined with my dearly beloved older brother, Mr. Benjamin Turner. And today we are going to be talking about a classic movie, the romantic drama Casablanca, coming out in the early 1940s, directed by Mr. Michael Curtis. Ben, please tell us the plot. Set in 1941, American Rick Blaine owns a nightclub in Moroccan City, Casablanca, where a variety of clandestine, uh, sorry, clandestine, variety of characters visit, including refugees longing to escape to the U.S. and the German and French officials wanting to stop them. Amongst these refugees is Rick's former lover Ilsa Lund and her husband Victor Laszlo, who are willing to do what uh, to do what they can to escape to the U.S. Now, this film is just a classic in so many ways. And I think also, if I remember correctly, when Ben and I did The Maltese Falcon, who which stars Humphrey Bogart, and Humphrey Bogart also plays the lead in this film, Ben had said, this is one of the only films I think I actually like Humphrey Bogart in. <laughs> <laughs> and my, first of all, my question is actually, why do you like Humphrey Bogart in this film, specifically? Um, so... I, I let's see which which Humphrey Bogart films that I've seen. I've seen this one. Mm-hmm. I've seen um, seen Maltese Falcon and Big Sleep. And I don't like he's don't, in the Big Sleep. Yeah, he is. is I, he? I, I I didn't like the Big Sleep. Um, shoot, you did not like. I know you did not like the Maltese Falcon. Yeah, one other that he was in that I actually, I also didn't like. I didn't like Key Largo either. <laughs> uh, anyways, um. He has a lot more range in this movie than he does in his uh, detective flicks, and I think that plays well to him. He he kind of comes off, I think, as really goofy in his detective movies. Like I'm, he's really? supposed to be this tough guy, even though he's like a buck. Fi- he weighs a buck fifteen, and he's like five two. Like, and and I okay, don't know. He's not my size. <laughs> yeah, but he, he's small, and like, which is fine. You can still be a BA and like be a shorter dude. Um, but like. I don't know. It's just he—he's—he he, he just like he would always come across as fear me, and then like, and you're just kind—you kind of laugh at him a little bit, like a chihuahua. Um, and <laughs> then called Humphrey Bogart. Yeah, <laughs> but like in his, when he's yeah when he's doing Casablanca though, he's sensitive. He he has a range. He has a character that actually transforms instead of like I'm gonna be, you know, I'm gonna go to the. Uh, like how Clint Eastwood used to act in like the spaghetti westerns that he did, or he just didn't act. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I love those movies. And I love Clint Eastwood, but in those movies, like he just the guy didn't have range. There was no character transformation. Casablanca, there was actual acting involved. It was awesome. I can agree with that. Kane Mutiny was the other one. Which one? Kane Mutiny was the other Kane one that was Humphrey Bogart with, and he was absolutely amazing. I think he got an Oscar for it. And again, similar. He had three dimensional character. He wasn't just a tough guy. I do have to agree with you on that because as I'm watching, I rewatched Casablanca the other night, and I'm looking at this and I, what I've noticed with Humphrey Bogart, which this is not, by the way, trashing on Humphrey Bogart in any way, shape, or form, because the man had a very successful career. But I have noticed that he has an RBF. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and I felt like I'm like okay, at least with the flashback scene, especially and during the gin joint line, which we'll get into later, he actually does carry a little bit of emotion you actually can tell some of the hurt which per, like i'm just gonna skip straight to some one of my favorite scenes is that to where it's him and no i'm just gonna say him and rick him and sam um play it again sam, sam that yeah, one yeah play it again sam like afterwards it's when ilsa and uh rick they see each other for the first time 
like after I don't know how long and um now it's just Rick and Sam sitting in the club um after it's closed and he's kind of just drinking his Zoros and one of my favorite lines and scenes it's like of all the gin joints in, the, in all the towns of all the world she walks into mine mm-hmm. and I do feel like you definitely see a lot of that hurt mm-hmm. that you didn't really see much mm-hmm. and I found that it played very well mm-hmm. which kind of nice segue into script so this script is one of the most interesting so okay for people that don't know i write as a hobby and slightly in my professional life um and i uh (laughs) this script kind of breaks a lot of the rules i was looking at the production of it usually the more screenwriters you have the more uh chaotic the script can get They have a million and a half screenwriters on this. It goes through – so a lot of these screenwriters never even met each other, which is somewhat common in the history today, but back then it wasn't at all. Uh, mostly written by the Epstein brothers and based off of – and even then, it's based off of a play, and I'm not even sure they even met the playwright. <laughs> the, play, the play never got produced. Yeah, the play never got produced. It was just based off a play called Everyone Comes to Rick's. So, and then it gets it gets handed from one screenwriter to another. Some of them are uncredited, like half of them are uncredited. They don't even know Wikipedia pages. Uh, I couldn't find anything on them except like these were just guys that the Epstein brothers knew, and <laughs> and then somehow they produced uh, one extremely. I think it's a very good script, chock full of great one liners. Although mm-hmm. the Epstein brothers did say that there's more corn in this movie than Iowa. <laughs> the lines were corny, which. I mean, no. some of them are, but like a lot of them, maybe they were corny like at the time, but now we look at them and like these are just great lines, maybe because there's so much ingrained in the American yeah. uh, canon. Here's to looking at you, kid. That yeah. is one of the most iconic lines. Ooh, played so against. I think it's the start of a beautiful friendship. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I kind of can see why they would consider it corny in this sense, but at the same time, I think that is what makes it the film actually very well, and especially the script. Because each, every film does have a sense of corniness to it. Like a monicum, usually in the script, sometimes in cinematography, depending on what you're at. Um, I saw it a lot in The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, but that's a different thing. Mm-hmm. But I, I do think that's what it makes it so well. Well, it's interesting because none of them thought it was going to be a good movie. Uh, <laughs> they're like, oh, it'll, make, it'll, make, it, it'll make its money back, maybe a little bit more. We'll, mix, we'll make it. You want to know how much this movie made? I don't know in today's dollars, but it, um, Wikipedia says between 3.7 and 6.9 million. So mm. in that range, I don't know what that equi- equates to today's dollars, but... What was it? Did it say, did it say its budget? Uh, budget, uh, do, e- about 1 million. And to, oh, still, in it, today's, still some money back. In today's dollars, it's money back. 13 million. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so either way, it made its money back, no matter what, which, you know, good on them mm-hmm. so where am I, where are we at where are we at Did we i lost my train of thought where are we at all right going into cinematography mm-hmm. i it, this might be more of a production thing but i like the fact that most of it took place in the nightclub because and i think they made great use of it mm-hmm. um like they had like a couple market scenes and then of course like the ending scene at the airport but for the most part it was at this nightclub they and I think they I can honestly th- say I feel like they had a lot of fun with it. They're like, okay, what can we put in here? We can put a gambling center here. We could put Rick's office here, his apartment up above, and they kind of played around with it. And I think that actually worked very well in their favor. Whether that was their intention or not, maybe they just had, hey, they only had a million dollars to do what they can to do this. 
let's try to make it work. And I do like the fact that they made it well and it no, nothing ever felt too overboard. And so that's why I kind of sometimes like it when films have very limited sets and the majority of it is just set maybe kind of in one place right. because you don't have that sense of being overboard and you're like, mm. oh, they're going here, they're going there, they're going there, they're going there. And it's kind of why I also like, what film am I thinking of? I'm kind of thinking of, my first thought film that came to mind was Mary Poppins because it's like kind of like a Cherry Street, um, Cherry Tree, sorry, Cherry Tree Lane, kind of in that general area and very few times they actually get out of that general area like they go to uncle albert's at one point and then to the bank Mm -hmm. but for the most part it's in that house or the park and and you see how well it's done and that's what i like about this nothing is overboard am i making sense or am i rambling too much (laughs) there it isn't uh isn't flashy in sense you know a lot of action explosions to kind of hide from it or to kind of yeah yeah there was yeah there was no flashiness despite being set in World War Two, oh, yeah, being filmed and ver- in World War Two, yeah. <laughs> um, no- nothing was overboard, and I think that was kind of the time. Nothing was ever really meant to be huge action because when I I don't look at older films and be like, oh, action movie, because I don't th- I can't think of any like older film I guess during this time that has a lot of like action packed stuff. I got can you? No, um, well. They would consider it action because they could. They would. They considered a multi-faction action movie. I think. Uh, and Red River and at Red River was supposed to be a big action movie and like we just watched that and we were like, yeah, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I guess how I think our... it says uh, how tastes go. Although I don't know because most seventies action movies are pretty still hold up today. So I don't know. Maybe it was just the era. Yeah, it, that's what I'm thinking and what we perceive as action and not. Because, like, James Bond is technically, like, through all the films, I think, like, the most action I've ever seen. Mm. That was in the, what, yeah, 60s? But mm. prior to that, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, not action movies, I don't want they probably were there or what they considered was there. Mm-hmm. But I, Maltese Falcon, don't consider that an action movie. That's a, what, noir film? Yeah. Don't really, mm-hmm. I don't, I cannot wrap my head around that. That's a thought that's a, that people consider that an action movie. Mm-hmm. I don't. Anyway, going on tangent on there. Would you change anything about the cinematography, though? Um, no, actually, it's pretty good. They did some. Uh, they were pretty creative with the tr- production design. That uh, mm-hmm. it was all shot in studio or um, redone from like a previous movie. I can't remember what it was. The Desert Song, I think. Uh, except for the ending on the airport, which was it's just an interesting an- anecdote. Um, that's actually a model airplane at the airport, and to cover up the the fact that it looked fake, they gave, they put fog in, which made everything <laughs> look way cooler. I mean, it's one of those things yeah. where like you cover things up so much, it actually makes it look really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and like since the bottle was small, they needed to use uh, dwarfs as the extras, so, so like they put them in uniform. They the dwarfs wore you know the French uniforms, and then were. Uh, place in front of the plane as the pilots and everything as you know the ground crew and everything yeah because the plane was like half the size of an actual plane because they needed to bring it to van nice van noise airport what the that's san francisco not san francisco la airport down south um someone from la is probably knows how to pronounce van, it i don't van news yeah i don't i don't know van how news? to pronounce it i guess it's brand news uh that's what i'm that's how i'm pronouncing it right <laughs> Anyways, so yeah, they did cool stuff like that. Kept the kept the budget down. Yeah, they also kept it creative, and that's what I like about 
um, a lot of the production side is when you it's like you have a problem, but you also try to creatively solve it without spending a lot of money and can still make it look good. And it's like, all right. And you just toss around ideas. And sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. The dwarfs in the uniform. Is that, wait, is that the like correct term? Or do we have to say little people? It's dwarfs or little people. Yeah. I'm not sure what's offensive nowadays or not. (laughs) Um, But again, creative idea. And it, it worked out in their favor. And I think that's just a testament to some film in general of finding these ways instead of like mm-hmm. um to, to cut back on money but not so much that it actually hinders anything right. and not putting so much money in to solve a problem when you're just wasting more money and it's just not playing out the way you want so moving on adversity is oh. the uh, birth of innovation <laughs> true i was gonna move on to scenes real quick but i, I um but i have one more question mm-hmm. do you think this can be filmed on, not filmed, viewed on different screens. Like you have a large screen and a small screen. Do you think you can, they can be oh, 100%, on the same one and have the same effect? Yeah, uh, I don't know because it's it's a very atmospheric movie. It's always fun to watch in the dark, yeah. like at night, especially if there's a storm outside. Um, oh yeah, good aesthetic. Yeah, <laughs> uh, which I think is how we how we watched it yeah. last night, two nights ago, something like that. It was wind. It's by the way, it's been windy. Yeah, it's been nights. it's been a little stormy around here. Uh. Thank God that's... Yeah, although, I don't know. If I was watching on a plane, like on my phone, it'd probably still be pretty great. But yeah, I would definitely recommend turn the lights off, wait for a storm. (laughs) (laughs) Or in our case, a lot of wind gusts for like the last three days and not getting any sleep. That's a different story. (laughs) Yeah. So we kind of, I touched briefly on the scenes a little bit. Like my favorite one being like the gin joints, that whole line. Was there any scene that stuck out to you? Hmm. I mean, everyone loves the ending, and I love it too. Yeah. It's the last uh, three yeah. or four minutes of the movie are just at, are absolutely beautiful. <laughs> Be- like beautifully when, shot, beautifully done. They're beautifully shot, beautifully done. I love the completion of the character art for Rick and Lewis, uh, Louis Lewis, yes. uh, however it is. Uh, Renault, Captain Renault, Captain Renault. Oh, Louis Renault. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I just say Captain Renault. <laughs> yeah, he was. Uh, I I love just love the how it all ended. Uh, I didn't think it was gonna. I definitely didn't think it was gonna end like that first time I watched it. I thought it was gonna yeah. end with uh, a lot, a lot worse. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I, enjoyed I will it. say, I thought everyone, like like you, I thought it was gonna end differently to where like either everyone's gonna die or everyone's gonna go to jail, mm-hmm. which did not happen. Slight spoiler. Um, but if you have not seen this movie, please watch this movie for a variety of reasons. Do you think that there should be any scenes that should have been taken out? Because, like, maybe some of the side stories, but there's not really that much. Yeah, I'd probably say... No, I'd say it's pretty good. Um, I can't really think much. I think... An interesting note is the original ending was going to be Rick and Louis uh, with the Free French Forces landing in North Africa, which had just happened when, oh. a couple of months before the movie came out. Um, but they were like... But then uh, Bogart... Or, sorry, the guy who played Louis couldn't be there. So <laughs> they were like, and in the end, they the were writers right. were like, you know, it's probably a much better idea to uh, just leave the way it is. It looks a lot better. True, but I think they also had trouble with, because I think I was reading at the time, it was, I think it was, it was banned by some, someone I can't remember off the top of my head, and it's going to bug me. Give me a moment. Uh, it was banned by the Motion Picture Production Code to have Ilsa leave with Rick instead of last. Yeah, I don't want to say that because I don't want to talk about the. Like I don't want to spoil the ending, but yeah. Husband, yeah. We're, oh yeah, 
spoiling the ending. Um, <laughs> spoiler alert! That's yeah, I read that. I was I was a little bit like I mean that's that's good because I was a little I was annoyed that that I hate those plot points all the time, um, and I was anno- I would have been really annoyed by it. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. It's that that in itself seems predictable. Yeah, exactly. And we like I think. I think I can probably speak for like the general population, at least Ben and I and our father and our mother, actually. Um, we do not like films that we can easily predict what is going to happen. And here's how bad it has gotten to the point to where we will sit in movie theaters and um, like watching whatever film. And then we're just kind of sitting there and it starts to become predictable. I'm like, OK, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. Da, 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 da. And you just kind of and sadly, we've become right. I want to say about 80 to 90 percent yeah. of the time. <laughs> I think it was Ben who actually came up with a method a couple years ago for film. It was either you or dad. I think it may, um, it was a collective effort. But going into a film with such low expectations <laughs> that it's going to be really bad in hopes to be pleasantly surprised. And I will say it actually has worked a lot. So I would recommend that strategy. <laughs> Just think it's going to be terrible. And then you'll be pleasantly surprised because it works every time. Anywho... I'm glad you said something about Captain Renault because I really want to talk about him and segue into characters yeah, he's in pretty, general. By the way, uh, speaking of the Maltese Falcon earlier, uh, two of the actors in the Maltese yeah, Falcon... Three. Uh, three? Oh, uh, three. I forgot Bogart for some reason. <laughs> Bogart, Peter Lore, and Greenspan? Greenbelt? I can't Green remember Belt. his name. Greenbelt. Yeah, they're all three in this Green movie. Green Street, sorry. Green Street. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, they all were in... They all need to work in a good movie first. <laughs> <laughs> This was a good movie. Yeah, no, this was a good movie. I don't think Maltese Falcon was. <laughs> but it has strong opinions on the film. If you if you want to listen to that, to watch, listen to that episode um, on Ben's thoughts for the Maltese Falcon. But I will say, I think at Green Street he played Fat Man for um, hmm? um in the Maltese Falcon. I he he had a definitely played a good role in this one. I felt like I got enough of him, but I wanted more of Senor Ugart, which is Peter Lore's character. I w- <sighs> he was only in the, well, I think the first 10 minutes, and then he was mentioned kind of throughout the film, but then, again, spoiler, got arrested um, in Casablanca. And he's, he was mentioning he played an important role, but he wasn't there. I kind of wish I would have seen more of him, because I like Peter Lore, Peter Lore's acting. I think he does very well and his just his certain mannerisms and I, I love how him and bogart interact and both a and maltese falcon and b in casablanca and i think they're they mesh very well together and i, I just wish we would have seen more of him mm-hmm. so that that's my own personal mm-hmm. thing just in terms of captain or for my personal favorite i like captain or i like his complexity because you don't know what he's going on i'm at my set of questions but before i get into that did you have a favorite Oh, definitely Captain Renault. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Any least favorites? Um, I mean, Ingrid Berg- Bergman's character is just kind of there. Like, she's a foil <laughs> yeah. for everybody else. She doesn't really stand super well on her own. Um, I know that's an unpopular opinion, but, like, and, I mean, that's fine. Like, she's a really good foil. She's a foil for oh, yeah. a lot of great characters. Yeah. Yes, exactly, exactly. But it, I will say it was kind of... I agree. She was kind of just there, and 
I mean, she brought the they best. Could have I mean, expanded, but yeah. at the same, I feel like she could have. Ju- they could have expanded the character a little bit more. Yeah, but maybe that's part was, of the point because yeah. her the entire thing that Humphrey Bogart tells her is, uh, "You are, you're the, you're the glue that holds great men together," kind of thing. Uh, that's why she goes back on the plane with her mm-hmm. husband. Um, that's why he changes, and, and by extent, that's why Louis uh, Louis changes. And I, maybe that's the point of her character in general, not just for a foil for the script, but she is a foil for people. Okay, bringing out the best in them. I don't know. So I just said that, she was my least favorite, but I like that interpretation. <laughs> yeah, I like least favorite in the sense of they could. I feel like maybe they could have expanded, but actually, that makes a lot more sense. And I actually had a question of why did Rick? Because Rick Blaine, he has the character is. I, he said multiple times, I stick my neck out for nobody. And as the movie progresses, you slowly see that he kind of starts to. Because he used to he used to actually do that a lot. He used to be part of, I think, what was that? He, he was a loyalist for the Spanish Civil War or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, he put guns, ran guns to Ethiopia to, um, to help them fight. But then that just stopped. And he always says, I stick my neck out for nobody. Like, that is very common thing that he says at least three or four times throughout the entire film. And then you slowly see that he kind of starts to. My question is, why do you think that was because just a change of character? Because he's like, I just want to end this war, like to help end this war, or because I love Ilsa so much, therefore I will do it for her. Does that make sense? I think it was the first one. Uh, I think he kind of buried that part of himself because he kept losing. He ran guns to Ethiopia, which ended up losing the war. He, uh, the, he fought for the Republicans who lost the war. And he was with a woman who just left him, left him out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. But she kind of had a good-ish reason. Yeah, but I mean, he, he had so many failures that he kind of just buried that part of himself. So. Because it was uh, it was an easy proxy to blame everything on. True, Very true. And I will say, like, Rick himself, like Captain Renault, Rick is a complex character. Yes. And my thing with Captain Renault, I can't... Do you consider him a bad man or just a man who's following orders? I don't even think he's probably half man following orders. The other half is like he, his country is now occupied. <laughs> yeah, he, yeah. So he's, he's probably just kind of like going along with everything, and he's like, Ugh, "What else am I gonna do?" Yeah, he yeah he does definitely get annoyed with the Nazis. Like, yeah, and the Gestapo coming in constantly, and he's just like, "I don't." He's just like, "I just want to do what I can to get them out of here and do whatever." But he still arrests people. But at the same time, he's still he's a bit of a scumbag. People. Yeah, he's like, you look at him, it's like, okay, he's a bad person. But then, because he's like, oh, no, he's, like, not helping people, like, get free and everything like that. But at the same time, he even said himself, I have orders. Mm-hmm. And so he's kind of tosses and turns a little bit of where he goes. But would you also consider Captain Renault and Rick friends? Yes. Or at least a mutual or a mutual understanding. I mean, at the end, obviously. At the, at the end, they're friends. But... Throughout the entire movie, are they friends or do they just have a mutual understanding? It looks more like they have a mutual understanding because Rick kind of looks down on him. Um, yeah. He has reason to. And uh, Renault is just kind of like, I, I don't care. Renault's <laughs> <laughs> just like, I just got to do my job yeah. and everything like that. So another thing on Rick. I wrote down Sam because I'm in my as I'm watching this movie. I keep seeing Sam Spade instead of Rick Blaine as Humphrey Bogart. But would you consider Rick petty in some areas? And the reason why I say that is because he sits Ilsa and Victor near Sam, and he starts playing 
Rick and Yulsa's song. Uh, it's kind of petty. A little yeah, bit. it's pretty funny. <laughs> it's funny, but petty. He's I mean, yeah, he's he's a guy in pain. He's recovering yeah. from heartbreak. He's only, what, like a year removed from it? Maybe a couple months? I, fe- I feel like it was longer. I mean, it takes place in 1940. 41. When did the Battle of, when did Battle of France happen? 1940. Okay, so you're right. It was about a year then. Yeah, maybe a couple months. Something like that. He's just sitting there like, he's in pain. So he's like, this is still pretty fresh. It's true. In the back of my head, they made it longer than it was. I thought it was like two years in the back of my head. Mm. But I also don't know history that well. This is why why you answer these questions. So then I have a thing on Victor real quick. Victor says he knew about... I got two things on Victor. Victor says he knew about the cheating, the alleged cheating. A little side thing, real quick. I don't know if it was so much cheating. She thought he was dead. Yeah, like she thought he like Victor was part of a concentration. It was in a concentration camp. He escaped, and at the time, like her, Ilsa and Victor were married. And then she thinks Victor dies because that's what she was told. And then that relationship with Rick begins. And so that's and so in her head, she's just like, I'm a widow. I'm seeing another man. So she's like technically cheating but not really cheating it's, it's a very it's one of the very fine she, she doesn't gray area. yeah she doesn't mean to like yeah. obviously she wouldn't have done it if she knew her oh, husband was still alive do you think that it's not a reflection on her character yeah. do you i had a question like if vic do you think victor was clueless about the cheating or was he like choosing to live in ignorant bliss about it because he says he knew knew about it but when he can when he confronted her about it like kind of she said though there's really nothing there and he just kind of lets it be. I can't tell if he's... Yeah, I think but he just kind of understands on... that, like, it was a weird situation. Yeah. And she doesn't really know how to handle it. And he's like, you know, screw it. I have other I have other things I need to do. With. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, like, lead this underground. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you think that he was ever mad at her for... Mad? Because I don't think he was ever mad. Yeah, I didn't see anything. Yeah, because he never showed he was mad mm-hmm. at all. He very much cares for her. And he's... He, A, wants to lead this resistance and he just and he's like you know again like you said it was a weird time it's a very gray area of her technically cheating but at the same time her thinking he was dead mm-hmm. it's a very in itself weird situation and then oh yeah i had one last thing about the captain Renault. why do you think that the captain decided to help rick at the end because he shot a gestapo officer and then he helped Rick, and he and then well, we saw for yeah, he saw Rick. the nobility in Rick, and he's like, you know, I can I can do, I can deal with that, I can do that. That sounds that looks fun, kind of thing. <laughs> like my job will be on the line. Well, yeah, well, he and he even looks because Rick does a couple great cool things at the end. And he's like, uh, mm-hmm. and Renault's just kind of like, okay, I can get behind this, I can do this, I, I can, can fight yeah. for my country again. Yeah, because I do think that Captain Renault may I don't want to say he lost that sense of. I don't want to use the word honor, but or, or I guess like like love for his country, but mo- or mostly I think he just was like I'm in a rock and a hard place. If I follow these orders, I'm harming my country. But at the same time, if I go against them, I could possibly like lose my job and my life. And so he's kind. Of, and I think at the end, it, like you said, great character arc between him and Rick. Um, Rick realizes he's like, no, I can't stick my neck out for people and help end this thing and um be okay with it i can resolve that and i believe that the captain also like you said has that same realization of i want to end this thing i'm kind of done um i want to in a sense be a patriot again 
So uh, two more questions to wrap this up. Why do you think this film is iconic? Like, wanna, does that make sense? Yeah, I think it leans into its stereotypes pretty well. Uh, the stereotype of the uh, the man hurt by his. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, don't, I can't even. I can't even say a stereotype. The the man who's lost his idealism, Rick. Mm-hmm. The man who will never let go of his idealism, Laszlo. Mm-hmm. And. The woman who is who is the foil for uh, for for, for, the, for their greatness, which is Ingrid Bergman. Okay, true. Do you think it also? Do you think like the love story? Like the like the most prominent thing is the love story. The love story. All the love story does is it it it, it, it creates a change in the characters. No one is ha- <laughs> love is probably the one thing in this movie that like <laughs> that nobody wins at. <laughs> true. No one really like maybe Victor. But yeah, exactly. Maybe Victor. But even then, it's still kind of weird because he's like, "Well, something happened." <laughs> like, something happened. Which, I mean, guess what happened? Yeah, exactly. So no one, despite being a romantic movie, there is like, it feels like no romance. At yeah. All. Well, there's romance. It's just nobody ever. Nobody wins. No one's happy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No one's happy in terms of romance. Yeah, exactly. Final question to end this out: Do you think someone will try and remake this film at some point, and do you think it even should be done? Because I don't think it should be done. I think someone's no try on to both accounts. It. Really? Uh, yeah, I think someone is gonna recognize that. Like, there's no way they're gonna be able to remake it and actually make it good. Um, and same because it they it would be everyone would look at the movie as okay. We're at the look. They'll measure it up to the original, and the original is so far <laughs> and above everything that's happened. <laughs> like, it's again part of the American film canon. It's so it's even ingrained in our culture at this point. Um, people who've never seen the movies at least know a lot of the one-liners. Mm-hmm. No one's gonna think it's gonna be profitable, and they're right. It would I would not be profitable at all. Mm-mm. I I kind of disagree with you on the fact that first first of all, I do, I believe should not be done. My personal thing is unless a remake is absolutely necessary, let Sleeping Dogs lie in a sense. Like it just leave it be. I do think though at some point. Someone is going to try and remake this. And I don't think it's going to do as well. For A, one reason you're going to be like, yes, constantly comparing it to the original. And B, it's just not going to have that same feel. And I feel like it's going to sound incredibly weird, but I feel like the only way it will ever have maybe have that same feeling is if it's also in black and white. Mm. Because, like, they did black and white at that time because not a lot of people can... Yeah, that color. was an amazing part. Of it yeah, but worked really it, well with the cinematography. <laughs> yeah, but the, black and, but the black and white, it just gives it a certain feel. Again, this wasn't, like, because they like they chose to do in black and white. It was because we literally have no other choice. But it... I don't, I don't know. It gives it a certain feel, but I, I can't exactly describe what it gives. Kind of a little bit of romantic sense, a little bit of eerie, a little bit of suspense, but like nothing over the top. Does that make sense? Again, yeah, we're rambling yeah. and no, you're talking, good. talking too much again. So I feel like that, like maybe the, the only way someone could ever try to live up to that, like the expectation of being a great film, is possibly doing it in black and white. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge, like possibly, like I don't think it will ever do as well. It might make 
some bank in the box office and it might they might get their money back but i don't think it will be, ever be remembered as like oh this is better than the original it's like oh no this is kind of an unnecessary remake and <laughs> just shouldn't have been done so that's that's my own personal opinion and on that note we are done talking about Casablanca. thank you all again for joining us and us rambling mostly me rambling <laughs> as always because that's what i do to get my thoughts out and ben's lovely insight as always Thank you all again. See you next week.